0: The Arkansas Supreme Court issued two opinions this week on state and local government. In the first, Bentonville State District v. Sitton, 2022-Arc. 80, the Arkansas Supreme Court reversed a temporary restraining order that would have prohibited the Bentonville School District from enforcing its mandatory COVID-19 mask requirements. Chief Justice Kemp, who wrote for the majority, noted that the school district policy principally required mask wearing, although it listed many possible exceptions, but mandated, "...all students age 3 through the 12th grade shall be required to wear a face or mask covering a. while attending school or an indoor school function in any school building, district facility, or b. when riding in school-provided transportation." All masks and face coverings must cover the nose and mouth of the student. Students shall wear masks and face coverings at all time except for certain exceptions not stated in this summary. The policy further stated that the Board shall review the face mask policy at every regular Board of Education meeting, beginning with the September 2021 regular Board of Education meeting, to determine policy continuance. By periodically reviewing the policy, the Board would determine whether the school district has a 14-day coronavirus infection rate of at least 50 new known infections per 10,000 residents of the public school district based on the most recent data published by the Arkansas Department of Health or the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. The Board would also consider the availability of vaccinations for those students below 12 years of age. The district's policy evolved from its Safe Schools Plan, which referenced both the ADH directions and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, guidelines, which applied to the 2021-2022 academic year. End of quote. This lawsuit arose as one for declaratory judgment and for damages, and it was brought by parents alleging their constitutional rights were violated and that the district acted outside its authority. Following the circuit court order that enjoined the district from enforcing its policy, this interlocutory appeal followed. There was a decline in COVID-19 cases, so the defendants stopped enforcing the policy, and the question on appeal arose as to whether mootness barred its consideration. The Supreme Court reasoned that because this appeal raised issues of substantial public interest and future future litigation might be avoided with the decision— there was an exception to the Mootness Doctrine. The decision reasoned there was a justiciable controversy. It, however, disagreed that the parents demonstrated a likelihood of success on the merits. Quote, This court has held that to justify a grant of TRO relief, a plaintiff must establish that it will likely prevail on the merits at trial. The test for determining the likelihood of success is whether there is a reasonable probability of success in the litigation." Quote. Looking to the claims, the opinion reasoned. Parental Constitutional Rights The parents argued the policy violated their fundamental liberty interest in the custody and care of their children and that the school district policy was issued in excess of the district's authority. The two points were addressed in the opin- in the opinion as follow. The Supreme Court examined whether the district policy had a real and substantial relation to a public health crisis. It concluded the policy survived this point. Quote, The Supreme Court of the United States has long provided a framework applicable in the context of a public health crisis. In Ray Rutledge, 956, Fed 3rd, 1018, 8th Circuit, 2020, quoting Jacobson v. Massachusetts, 197 U.S. 11, 1905. That two-part framework is set forth as follows. In the context of a public health crisis, a state action is susceptible to constitutional challenge only if it, purporting to have been enacted to protect the public health, the public morals, or the public safety, has no real or substantial relation to those objects, or is, beyond all question, a plain, palpable invasion of rights secured by the fundamental law. Here, in the face-covering section of its Safe Schools Plan, the district acknowledged that the CDC currently recommends the wearing of masks in school settings. We conclude that the district's policy supports a real or substantial relation to protecting the students' health during the COVID 19 pandemic. The second Jacobson inquiry is whether the district's policy was beyond all question a plain, palpable invasion of the parents' rights. Parents do have a liberty interest in shaping their child's education. Wisconsin v. Yoder, 406, U.S. 205, invalidating a Wisconsin statute requiring Amish children to attend public school to age 16 against the wishes of the parents. But the court has also held that our government has a wide range of power for limiting parental freedom and authority in things affecting the child's welfare. Prince v. Massachusetts, 321, U.S. 158. In Prince, the court stated, acting to guard the general interest in youth's well-being. The state, as parents patriae, may restrict the parent's control by requiring school attendance, regulating or prohibiting the child's labor, and in many other ways. Thus, in light of this precedent and without delving into the underlying merits of the parent's ongoing claims, we hold that the district's policy is not, beyond all question, a plain Palpable violation of the parents' constitutional rights to care for their children. End of quote. The Supreme Court next examined whether the district exceeded its authority and answered in the negative. Quote, Without delving into the underlying merits of the parents' ongoing claims, we conclude that the parents, as the moving parties, have failed to demonstrate a likelihood of success on the merits. Thus, we hold that the circuit court abused its discretion in finding that the district policy violates the plaintiff's constitutional rights and was enacted without proper authority. End of quote. Finally, there was no showing that absent a TRO that the parents would suffer irreparable harm. Quote, Here the circuit court ruled that if the district had that authority to implement its policy, the parents have failed to show irreparable harm they have failed to show likelihood of success on the merits. Because we hold that the district had the authority to promulgate its policy and that the policy did not violate the parents' fundamental rights, we conclude that the parents failed to show that irreparable harm will result in the absence of a TRO. End of quote. Special Justice Howard Brill joined the majority. A concurring opinion written by Justice Womack added, I agree with the majority that the grounds on which the circuit court entered its temporary restraining order have been rendered moot now that the Bentonville School District's mandatory mass policy has lapsed. However, I disagree with the majority's conclusion that that the substantial public interest exception is fully satisfied in this case. In my view, neither exception to the mootness doctrine is applicable here, and I would reverse and dismiss." The central question in this case is whether the district has authority to issue a district-wide policy mandating that students wear face masks while at school. This question does not evade review because it will be addressed by this court in a separate appeal involving mask mandates. McLean v. Arkansas, Number 60CV214692, Pulaski County Circuit Court, January 28, 2022, Notice of Appeal filed. In McLean, the Pulaski County Circuit Court entered an order finding Act 1002 of 2021, which prohibited schools from requiring students to wear masks unconstitutional on multiple grounds. Thus, our review of Act 1002's constitutionality will in turn determine whether the district has authority to implement a mask policy. The second exception to mootness involves matters of substantial public interest, which, if addressed, would prevent future litigation. This exception has two prongs. A. That there be a substantial public interest in the issues being considered, and B. That addressing such issues, despite their being otherwise moot, would prevent future litigation. To be sure, there exists a substantial public interest in the policies promulgated by local school districts, especially as they pertain to student health. Nevertheless, as discussed above, a separate appeal is pending on whether the General Assembly's act banning mass mandates in schools is constitutional. Therefore, addressing the issues raised in the present appeal will not prevent future litigation. I would hold that this appeal is moot based on the lapsed policy. End of quote. Another concurrence written by Special Justice Brill reasoned, I write separately to further address the constitutional question that is raised in this appeal of a preliminary injunction, namely the constitutional rights of the parents when the Bentonville School Board imposed this mass mandate on their children. For this court to affirm the preliminary injunction, the parents must demonstrate a likelihood of success on the merits. The narrow issue here is whether the parental right supersedes or trumps the authority, both expressed and implied, of an elected school board to make the detailed decisions as to the operation of the schools. Although the parameters of the right may be uncertain, it is clear, and both parties agree, that the parent's right to control a child's education is neither absolute nor unqualified. Parents do not have a constitutional right to micromanage the operation of the schools. If parents are dissatisfied with the school board decisions, they have a remedy. It is the ballot box. End of quote. Justice Webb dissented and explained The majority in concurrence failed to give deference to the circuit court and have reached deep into case law to support a finding that not only prejudges the issues below but snuffs out the constitutional rights of fit people to parent their children. All that is required to support an injunction is a reasonable likelihood of success on the merits and the threat of irreparable harm. The sole question before us is whether the circuit court departed from the rules and principles of equity in making the order and not whether we would have made the same order. This analysis should have started with the circuit court's multiple findings in support of both a reasonable probability of success on the merits and irreparable harm. A violation of a constitutional right is deemed irreparable harm for purposes of injunctive relief. The wearing of a face mask for health purposes has nothing to do with education. Instead, the face mask policy is a health decision and not an educational one. While a school board is required to do all things necessary and lawful for the conduct of efficient free public schools in the school district, this does not give the school district the ability to override a fit parent's health decisions for his or her child. End of quote. The dissent concluded the majority and and concurrences have given the school district powers far beyond education, which it does not have. End of decision. In Rutledge v. Rimmel, 2022, Arc. 86, the Arkansas Supreme Court considered an interlocutory appeal involving the state attorney general's entitlement to immunity for her television advertisements and participation in litigation in other jurisdictions. Justice Wood ruled that immunity was a bar to the temporary restraining order and certain illegal exaction claims. Quote, this is a lawsuit against Attorney General Leslie Rutledge in both her official and individual capacities. The dispute centers on the Attorney General's spending on TV commercials and legal filings in out-of-state federal litigation. The lawsuit contains two primary allegations and requests for relief. First, that the Attorney General has exceeded her authority and should be enjoined from continuing to act in excess of her authority and And second, that she has spent funds in excess of her authority, which constitutes an illegal exaction. The matter comes before us now on an interlocutory appeal after the circuit court denied the Attorney General's assertions of various immunity defenses. End of quote. There were two principal counts, sovereign immunity and illegal exaction. The Attorney General prevailed on both, resulting in reversal of the trial court order appealed from. Quote, as for the first claim for relief, we hold that the Attorney General has sovereign immunity and cannot be enjoined because plaintiffs fail to show that any of the Attorney General's acts were ultra vires. Thus, we reverse and dismiss the claim for injunctive relief. As to the second allegation, the illegal exaction, we hold that Leslie Rutledge as an individual is entitled to statutory immunity because plaintiffs fail to allege that she acted maliciously. Thus, we also reverse and dismiss the individual capacity claim for an illegal exaction. But the official capacity claim for an illegal exaction is not subject to either sovereign or statutory immunity. We therefore dismiss this part of the appeal because it falls outside our appellate jurisdiction on interlocutory review. End of quote. In reversing and dismissing the order granting injunctive relief, the court wrote, Plaintiff's request for injunctive relief should have been summarily dismissed because they failed to plead facts to overcome sovereign immunity. None of the facts and legal allegations established that the Attorney General exceeded any legal authority, End of quote. The opinion concluded, quote, We now summarize the disposition. We reverse and dismiss the claim for injunctive relief. We reverse and dismiss the illegal exaction claim against the Attorney General in her individual capacity, but we dismiss the appeal to the extent that it challenges the illegal exaction claim against the Attorney General in her official capacity. The illegal exaction claim against the Attorney General in her official capacity remains the sole surviving claim upon remand. Still, this is not because we have found the claim to have merit, but because we cannot evaluate the merits at this point. Further, the Attorney General's absolute immunity motion remains outstanding. End of quote. Special Justice John R. Scott joined with majority. Justice Womack concurred because the Constitution allows suit for an illegal exaction. Quote, Our Constitution provides that any citizen of any county, city, or town may initiate suit in behalf of himself and all others interested to protect the inhabitants thereof against the enforcement of any illegal exactions whatever. Arkansas Constitution, Article 16, Section 13. This text-based exception to the general prohibition of state suits against the state is unlike the exceptions this court has created out of whole cloth for unconstitutional, ultra-vires, and illegal acts. Here, a constitutional provision expressly affords citizens a judicial remedy against the state for illegal exactions. Accordingly, the state, and by virtue the Attorney General in her official capacity, cannot assert sovereign immunity when defending against a properly pled illegal exaction claim. End of quote. Justice Baker, concurring in part and partially dissenting, added, While I concur in the result reached up by the majority in Parts A and B, I dissent from the remainder of the opinion based on my position in Board of Trustees of University of Arkansas v. Andrews, 2018, Arc 12, and its progeny. End of quote. Justice Wynne, partially concurring and partially dissenting, added, I agree with the majority's disposition regarding sovereign immunity and illegal exaction, But I cannot join the majority's analysis of statutory immunity because statutory immunity does not apply to the claim for injunctive relief against the Attorney General in her individual capacity. End of quote. End of decision.